So tonight, I invite you to open up to Romans chapter 14. Uh, We're going to be in verses 13 through 23. I know it's been a while since uh, we've been in Romans. Last time we did 1 through 12, and tonight we're taking another uh, big section here, verses 13 through 23. If you would, please open up to Romans 14, 13 through 23. Allow me to read. The word of God as we begin. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have Keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. All right, a lot right there. I know, uh, Lord willing, uh, we'll be able to tackle it all tonight. Allow me to pray for us. Lord God, as we just sung, we need you. We need you every hour. Lord, we need you this hour. So God, I ask that you would bless our time tonight in your word. God, my words have no power. We ask that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts this evening. Lord, that you would give me the strength to speak your words and your truth that you would give us understanding, that you would convict our hearts, that you would change us to be more like you and to worship you. We ask for your grace upon us in this next hour, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. How many of you guys have siblings? You have siblings? Most of you guys... Poppy, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Most of you guys, maybe not everyone, but most of you guys have siblings. And and so, if you have siblings, uh, you might agree with me when I say that living with siblings often reveal a lot of sin in our lives. Yes? Okay. Good. I'm not the only one. Uh, A common sin, maybe that it reveals, it probably reveals a lot of sins uh, in our own lives. But I think maybe a common one is our own selfishness. Anyone? Does does your siblings reveal selfishness in your own life? Yeah, for me, for sure. Uh, When I was living with my siblings, especially. I can tell you a lot of stories of 
how my selfishness came out uh, growing up with three other siblings. Uh, one sister, Lydia, named Lydia. <laughs> Lydia Andale is her name. Uh, and But the, the one I want to share is one summer, uh, there was a store called Hollywood Video. I, you probably, no one even knows what that is. Yeah, there you go, ah, you remember Hollywood Video. Anyone know what a blockbuster is? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I've heard about it in history books. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, Hollywood Video was its competitor, I guess you could say. Um, and, okay, back in the day, you had a, you go to a store to rent movies, okay? You know this? VHSs, and then DVDs came out eventually, and then you, 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 you rent them for a few days, you pay, and, okay, you understand this, right? Yes. You've heard of these stories, okay. Homeschoolers, exactly. yeah. Okay, great. I, I don't know if that has to do with this, but I, that's great. <laughs> Hollywood Video one summer was having a, an MVP, they called it, MVP thing. And it was like you paid like 30 bucks, and then for three months, all through summer, you could rent three movies at a time. You have three movies out, and you can go back and like return one and then get another one. So you always have – you're renting three movies. Uh, it was really quite a deal. Not every movie was part of MVP, but they had like MVP stickers on the movies. And so growing up, what we did, what my family did this summer when we had MVP, uh, my parents picked a movie. Me and my older brother, we were close in age, we were a year and a half apart. We picked a movie, and then my two younger siblings, they were closer in age and further from, from me and my older brother, they picked a movie. So each like kind of pair was able to pick a movie. That's how we did our three movies. And so me and my older brother, when, it, you know, when we picked movies, we, we traded off on who was able to pick the movie. And sometimes we like we come up with, oh, I want this movie, this movie, this movie. We had like a list of movies that we wanted to get. We could only get one at a time. Uh, and sometimes there are movies that we both wanted, and sometimes there are movies that only one of us wanted. And so what I would do is kind of my strategy was, ooh, okay, I know that we both want this movie. So I'm not going to use my selection for it. I'm going to select a movie that I want, right? So that he can choose the movie that I also want, right? It's strategy. But for some reason, and it's very hypocritical and selfish, when it was his turn to pick a movie, if he didn't pick one of those movies that I wanted, he, every once in a while he picked like this random, like weird, like Japanese movie that like made no sense. Nothing against Japanese movies. But they were like weird. And... He would pick them, and I would get so frustrated. I'd be like, why are you picking such a dumb movie? And then I had to sit through it and watch it until it was my turn to do it. Now, to me, now looking back, again, that revealed a lot of my own sin. It revealed my own hypocrisy, because that was exactly what I was doing to him. And it revealed selfishness in my own self. That I had a very uh, me-first mentality. That if, if he didn't choose something that... I wanted, then I was upset. I was angry. I was frustrated. I was disappointed uh, because I was thinking of me first. Now, in this passage here in Romans 14, we're, we're challenged to not think of ourselves first, as I was doing, Hollywood video, MVP. Instead, we're challenged to think of others first and to exercise our freedom to love them instead of harming them. Now, if you remember back in verses 1 through 12, as we looked at several weeks ago, verses 1 through 12, we looked at how Paul is calling, the Christ, calling Christians to not judge one another. That there will be differences, there will be disagreements within the body of Christ. 
But the things in which are not clear in Scripture, the, the things that are not commanded by God, we're not to take hard stances and judge our brother or sister who have different convictions than us. In that passage in verses 1 through 12, Paul addressed both, he identified the weak Christian and the strong Christian. And to the weak Christian, he was telling them to not judge the strong Christian who exercises their freedom in Christ. And to the strong Christian, he's telling them, don't judge the weak Christian who's not exercising their freedom in Christ. Right? Remember, he was addressing both. And he's saying, instead of judging your brother and sister, verses 1 through 12, he concludes it by saying, love your brother and sister. And seek in all things to honor the Lord. Whether you exercise your freedom or not, honor the Lord. And one way in which you can do that is by loving them instead of judging them. That's what we looked at several weeks ago. Now here, picking up in verse 13, Paul continues, and now he, he addresses the strong Christian more directly. He addresses the strong Christian and how they are and how they are not to exercise their freedom in Christ. Now just because we can exercise our freedom in Christ, it doesn't mean that we always should. Are we free in Christ? Yes, we are completely free. But as Paul would say elsewhere, for instance, 1 Corinthians 10.23, he says all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Or as he says in Galatians 5.13, for you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, as in sin, but through love serve one another. See, just because we have the freedom doesn't mean that we should always exercise it. And in this passage that we're going to look at tonight, Paul addresses the strong Christian, primarily, although it does apply to all Christians, but he really addresses the strong Christian on being discerning on when and how to exercise your freedom in Christ. And how exercising your freedom in Christ uh, can either have an edifying or a harmful effect on others. And so with that in mind, Paul gives us four warnings on why at times we should not exercise our freedom. It really could be seen as this too. That if your freedom causes this to happen, if you exercising your freedom causes blank to happen, then he's saying don't exercise your freedom. That it's better to love your brother than it is to exercise your freedom. That's where we're going tonight. So we're going to look at four warnings of why at times we should not exercise our freedom in Christ. Okay, so first, do not let your freedom cause a brother to stumble. Verse 13. Do not let your freedom cause a brother to stumble. Verse 13. Paul starts off really by using a play, a play on words here, although it's somewhat hard to see that in the English translation. Verse 13, he says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. What's, where's the play on words here? He uses the word judge twice, but we don't see in the English translation. But in the Greek, it's the word krino. He uses it two times. The first time he uses it, it's used in a way that talks about condemning or judging. He says, therefore, let us not pass judgment. Krino. He's saying, do not judge them. Do not condemn them. The second time he uses it is a way of determining or deciding when he says, but rather decide. It's the same word krino. It's the kind of judgment. 
he's saying we should have. So he uses it both, the same word both. What, what he's saying is don't judge one another, but instead use judgment to not put a stumbling block in the way of your brother. So let's just stop right there for a second of these two words and these two ways of judging. There's a good judgment that we should do. He's saying decide, be discerning, use judgment. And there's a bad judgment that we shouldn't do, this condemning, judging. Which one are you doing? Which one do you find yourself more often doing? Do you, do you judge one another in a way that condemns them? Are you judging others, looking down upon them because of their differences, because of their struggles, because of their sins? Are you judging others, thinking of them as lower than you and, and thinking of yourself as higher than them? Is that the kind of judging that you participate in? A self-righteous judgment that condemns others? Or are you using judgment in a way that is thinking of others and is discerning on if what you are doing is beneficial or harmful to others? You see, the judging that you should do is the judging on yourself. That you should use judgment, use discernment to evaluate and to assess your own life on how you interact with others. The judgment you should be using is judging whether or not your life is edifying to the body or if your decisions are harming the body. That's the kind of judging you should be participating in. A self-judgment that evaluates if you are being helpful or if you are being harmful to others. Paul is saying, in that judgment that you have, decide to never put a stumbling block in the way of a brother. Now, what does it mean to put a stumbling block in the way of a brother? Does it mean, hey, when you're at TYG and someone's walking, don't just throw a block in front of their feet and make them fall. That's not what he's saying. But don't do that. That's not what he's saying. To put a stumbling block in the way of a brother, it means that you are doing something that, that may or may not necessarily be sinful. However, in you doing it, in this case, in you exercising your freedom to do it, it is causing another brother to sin. Okay, a classic example of this would be drinking alcohol. And none of you guys should be drinking alcohol. Okay, but let's say in the adult world, it, it'd be like this, that you are... Free to do so. The Bible says not to get drunk. Okay, but let's say you have you have the freedom to drink. But let's say that you have company coming over, and to them their conviction is that a Christian should not drink at all. Or maybe they are an alcoholic and they're struggling with with drinking, and you have the freedom to drink. And so let's say they come over, and, and to put a stumbling block in their way would be. To pour a glass of wine for yourself anyways, because you have the freedom to do so, to drink. But you know what? But you say, oh, man, this wine's so good. Are you sure you don't want any? I know that you're struggling with this, but don't be such a baby. Just have some. Right? That would not be loving. That would be putting a stumbling block in your way. Now, again, maybe that doesn't apply to you as much. How about something like this? A different example. Let's say watching a scary movie. All right, let's say that you and your friend are having a sleepover, and you're, you're free to do so. You are free to watch a scary movie. Let's say your parents allow for it, and it's fine. Like you're, you're free to watch it. You can watch a scary movie. But let's say that your friend who's with you, when they watch this kind of movie, 
or some of the content, let's say, that's in it, this specific type of scary movie, let's say it, it causes them to stumble. They struggle with it. Maybe they, they start doubting things of God. Maybe they start becoming angry or they become violent or whatever it might be. It triggers things in their own struggles to cause them to sin. But you really want to watch this movie. And so maybe you're like, oh, no, come on. It's not a big deal. Let's just watch it. Right? Like, you know, hey, yeah, we're free to watch this. It's really not a big deal. To be loving would be to not watch that movie, even though you may be free to do so, but to think of them and their struggles instead. Yeah, that's just a, 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 an example. But Paul's point here is that the strong, mature Christian will be sensitive and caring toward any believer's weaknesses and in any way which might cause them to stumble or to sin. That we are to be thinking of others before ourselves. We are to put their needs above our desires. I mean, let's think about it. What's, what's more important here? That we watch a scary movie because we're free to do so? Or that we're conscious of our brother and our sister in Christ and we guard them from falling into sin? We need to have the mindset of Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, that says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We need to count others more significant than ourselves. We need to look at their interests above our own. I challenge you, what is, what is your typical mindset and your practice for this? Think about it in the places in which you are. Let's just start here at TYG. When you're here at TYG, do you count others more significant than yourself? Do you look to their interests above your own? Think about at home, with your parents, with your siblings. Do you count others more significant than yourself at home? Do you look at their interests above your own at home? When you're with your friends, when you're with your classmates, when you're with wherever you are, do you count others more significant than yourself? Do you look at their interests above your own? One day, and some of you are already here, one day you guys will be driving on the road. Sometimes it's hard to count others more significant than yourself, to look at their interests above your own. When they cut you off, when they give you uh, sign language that's not very nice. <laughs> Do you count others more significant than yourself? Do you look at their interests above your own, Philippians 2? One way in which we can do this is by being sensitive and caring toward other believers. And specifically, in ways in which may cause them to stumble. You are free, Christian, yes, but do not let your freedom... Cause your brother to stumble, he says. He says, never let that be. Secondly, do not let your freedom cause grief to your brother. Do not let your freedom cause grief to your brother. Verses 14 and 15. Now Paul here, he reintroduces, and I say reintroduces because we looked a little bit at it in verse 1 through 12. 
He reintroduces the idea of food, but, but this time specifying clean versus unclean. And he makes clear that all food is clean. He's free to eat meat that some would consider unclean. And the strong Christian is correct in his understanding and in his conviction of the freedom that he possesses in Christ. The Christian is able to enjoy anything that is not deemed as sinful from the Lord. Therefore, the Christian is free to eat meat. That being said, if the Christian is weak in his faith and does not have a complete or mature understanding of his freedom in Christ, then his conscience might tell him that it is wrong for him to eat the meat. And if his conscience is telling him that it's wrong for him to eat the meat, then for him it is wrong. Because it goes against his own conscience. Look at verse 14. He says, I, I know and am persuading the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean, you see. So the weak Christian should not give in to the pressure of doing what the strong Christian is doing. If it goes against his own conscience. Because for him it's wrong. For him, for him it's sinful. And we'll look into that more later tonight. But Paul's main point here is to address the strong Christian. Look in verse 15. He says, for if your brother is grieved, the strong Christian is saying to the weaker Christian, if, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. See what he's saying? He said, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're not walking in love anymore. Paul's saying, if you are exercising your freedom, if you if you doing that, if by you exercising your freedom causes grief to your brother, then you're not loving that brother. You're not walking in love. To grieve them, it means to cause them pain. It means to cause them sorrow. It means to, to, to cause them grief. Should we not desire to walk in love with our brother and our sister in Christ? We should always desire to walk in love with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So then why do anything that may grieve them? Are you willing to eat or drink if it causes your brother or your sister to grieve? Are you willing to watch a scary movie if it causes them to grieve? Like, why would you do that? Why would you eat or drink or do anything if you know it grieves your brother or sister in Christ? Now, it's a, it, it is a sad, it's a sad and it's a painful thing to see in the world when a non-Christian causes harm and grief to a Christian. You know what I mean? Maybe it'd be some kind of persecution. Maybe it'd be insults. And when you see a non-Christian harming a Christian, it's a sad thing to see. But while it's sad to a degree, it, it is to be expected. But how much more sad and how much more tragic is it to see a Christian cause harm and grief to another Christian? I mean, let it never be so. Christian, let us not harm and grieve other Christians. What are we doing? Instead, let us put the love for the Christian above our own freedoms. Let that be the priority, to love one another, not our own freedoms. To demand that we exercise our freedom at the cost of harming and grieving our fellow Christian would be selfish and frankly sinful. We should never be okay with grieving our brother or sister in Christ. And to just shrug it off and say, well, that's their problem. 
They shouldn't be so weak. They shouldn't struggle with that. They should be able to watch that. They should be able to do that. That is not a loving response. In fact, Paul, he addresses a very similar thing to the church in Corinth. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 8.13. He says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Do you see that? Paul says he will never eat meat if it makes his brother stumble. Never, he says. His care and his concern for harming his brother in any way is so important that he is willing to never eat meat again. Is he free to eat meat? Of course he's free to eat meat. But if it would grieve his brother, he would have no desire to eat the meat anymore, knowing that it would harm his brother. Do you have that same care and concern for one another? For your other brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, for your other brothers and sisters in Christ, do you have that same care and concern? Do you desire to give up any of your freedoms for the sake of your brother or sister? Do you love your fellow believer in this way? That you say, yeah, I'm free to eat meat, but I, I will never eat it if it means it would cause them to stumble. That's love. And where does this love come from? Where does this drive to, to die to self for the sake of others come from? It comes from the love of Christ. In fact, Paul brings up a very strong point that should really put every Christian in their place. Look at the second half of verse 15. He says, By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. We've got to put this in perspective. By what you eat, do not destroy the one whom Christ died. Wow. Now, when he says destroy, he's not saying that we can cause our fellow Christian to lose their salvation. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying that our actions have effects on other people. And we must be cautious. We must be aware if the exercising of our freedom is causing others to stumble or is causing grief to others. He's saying, how can you do that? How can you arm? How can you cause them to stumble to someone, a Christian, who Christ died for? Christ died for that Christian. And yet you're, you're harming them by exercising your freedom, by not thinking of them. Do you understand the sacrifice that's made for this person? When I refer to this person, I'm saying this fellow Christian in which you are causing them to stumble. Do you understand the sacrifice that was made for this person? That Christ made for this person. And yet you're not willing to make a simple sacrifice such as eating or drinking or whatever it may be. What did Jesus give up for this person? What did Jesus sacrifice for this person? Let's think about it. First, he left heaven for this person. For all Christians, right? He left heaven. He's perfectly indwelling in perfect unity and relationship with the Trinity, the Godhead, they are together. And he leaves, he leaves heaven, perfect place to come here, to add humanity to himself. To walk on a sinful world. And when he never sinned, but he felt the effects of sin as he walking a broken world in which others in this world, his own creation is sinning against him. He feels the effects of sin. And so he lived amongst sinners. And we know that then eventually it led to his crucifixion. 
What is, what is Christ sacrificing for this person? He sacrificed his life. His own flesh. His own bones that were broken. His own blood that was spilled. He sacrificed. And when he's on that cross, he's crushed by the Father. In which they had a perfect relationship. A perfect union together. And when he bore the sins of his people, what? It says that the Father was pleased to crush him. In which Christ cried out, why have you forsaken me? The relationship broken in that moment. You see what he has sacrificed. Jesus gave his life for this believer. And yet you aren't willing to give up food? Like, you see the difference? You see what Christ has given up and sacrificed for this believer? And yet you say, well, I'm not willing to give up blank for this believer. Years ago, I was on worship. I'm still on worship team, I guess. I was on worship team here at this church. And it came about, it was one summer. Um, we're up there on the platform. And me and maybe a couple of the other guys, we're wearing shorts. They're like nice shorts. You know, they're not like basketball shorts. You know, maybe like little cargo shorts or like, a, what are they called? Like Dickies kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about? Like, just like, like some nice shorts. We're wearing shorts up there. Um, it gets hot. You know what I mean? You're moving around, playing drums or whatever. Um, and one day... Michael, who, who leads the, the worship team, he, he sends out a note, he, an email or something, and he's telling us that the new rule is that we're no longer wear shorts on the platform. And he's explaining that uh, for some in the congregation, I don't know all the conversations that, I had, that were had at that time, but the gist of what was communicated to us is that there are some in the congregation in which it was causing them to stumble, us wearing shorts on the platform. I don't know why. I did not get the, the full story. But it was causing them to, it was causing them to, it was distracting them from worship in some way. And so Mike asked us, okay, new dress code. We're not to wear shorts when we're up on the platform. And I remember my, my initial response, it was not a good response. My initial response was, are you kidding me? Like, what? I can't wear shorts? Like, I'm getting hot up there. I'm sweating up there. I got to wear jeans and pants in summer. And I'm like, come on. What's wrong with shorts? Why Why can't you worship with me wearing shorts? You shouldn't even be looking at me. Just worship. Like, this has nothing to do with me. I can't wear shorts because of you? That's what was going on in my mind and some of the other guys that were wearing shorts. And I had to stop and realize, and by the grace of God, he, he caused me to realize, I can give up shorts. I, I can give up a little bit of comfort, and I can be a little uncomfortable for the sake of, of my brother or sister who is stumbling while they're trying to worship. And it seems silly, and it seems like, what, what's wrong with shorts? There's nothing wrong with shorts. In fact, I have the freedom to wear shorts. But you know what? If it's causing my brother or sister to stumble, I can give that up. What has Christ given for that brother or sister? His life. Among many other things. I can give up shorts. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's here more than we think. It's not just 
eating and drinking. But guys, it's it's all throughout as we live life with one another, brothers and sisters. We need to be thinking of others. Not just be thinking about my hot legs. As in temperature. Not like that guy. Everyone, calm down. Calm down. All right, the temperature of my legs. It was summertime. It was hot. All right. But we can give it up. See, Christ, we think of Christ. Christ already paid the supreme price for that Christian. And for that Christian who is stumbling with me wearing shorts, Christ paid the supreme price for them. And yet we're not willing to pay a small price by forfeiting our freedom for their sake. We're not willing to, to pay the small price of forfeiting me wearing shorts. Do you have sacrificial love for other believers? Or, or, or do you cause grief to them? How are you using your freedom in Christ? Do you use your freedom to sacrificially love the body? Or do you use your freedom to cause grief and harm to the body? Next, do not let your freedom cause damage to your witness for Christ. Do not let your freedom cause damage to your witness for Christ. Verses 16 and 19. Look at what he says in verse 16. He says, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. The good in which he's talking about is the freedom we possess in Christ. Do not let that good, that freedom in Christ, because indeed it is a good thing. Our freedom in Christ is good. But the ways in which we may misuse it, or at least the ways in which maybe that we use it in a way that's not profitable, may end up damaging our witness for Christ, may be spoken of as evil. And when I say witness to Christ, you initially probably think about our witness towards non-believers. And I think that's true. The way in which we misuse our freedom in Christ may damage our witness for Christ to the unbelieving world. I actually think the context here is speaking more about our witness to other believers. But both can be included, I think, in some ways. But the point I think Paul is trying to get across is that when we misuse our freedom we possess in Christ... We give it a bad reputation that we, we cause others to dislike or to think wrongly or to speak ill of the wonderful gift of the freedom that Christ has given us. Because we have taken something that is good and as a result of our sin, we have turned it into something bad. Therefore, we must use our freedom rightly. And we must do so not for our gain, but ultimately for the glory of God and for his kingdom. In fact, look at what it says in verse 17. He says, for the kingdom of God, it's not a matter of eating or drinking, right? Like, that's not what it's about. It doesn't matter about that. That's not what our freedom is for. It's for eating and drinking. But he says what? But of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. See, we must be eternally minded. When exercising our freedom in Christ, we must have more in mind than just ourselves. We must have the kingdom of God in mind. There is more at stake here than just food and drink. There's more at stake here than, than steak. Okay, okay, good, all right. We have to be living for the kingdom of God, he's saying. Not be living just for the Christian liberties, but living for the kingdom of God. And in what ways can we be living for the kingdom of God? Well, he lists three ways right here. We can be living for the kingdom of God in righteousness and in peace and in joy. How? We can live righteously in obedience to God. We can live in peace as we have peace with one another. 
And we can live with joy. Joy in living in righteousness and peace with one another, you see. All of this. It is a witness to the unbelieving world. And it's also a witness to the fellow Christian as well. That as the strong Christian sets aside his freedoms for the sake of his brother, it is a witness to the rest of the church body of what righteousness, peace, and joy looks like. So let's pursue that. As he says in verse 19, he says, pursue it for the mutual upbuilding. The mutual upbuilding of the church. I challenge you, everyone here, every believer here, are you looking to edify and build up the church? I'm saying his people. Are you looking to edify and build up the church? Are you concerned about the spiritual health and the well-being of the church, of your brothers and your sisters in Christ? This is something that every believer ought to be mindful of and ought to care for. Christian, you ought to be seeking to use your freedom for the upbuilding of the church. You ought to be using your freedom for the kingdom of God, for righteousness, for peace, for joy in the Holy Spirit. Don't just use your freedom just, just simply for the sake of eating and drinking, he says. But there's much greater use and there's much greater purpose for your freedom. And that is the kingdom of God and the mutual upbuilding of the church. The point is that the strong believer is looking at the interests of the church as a whole. But that is his priority. Not his own enjoyment of his Christian liberties. Christian, what do, you, what do you think the ways in which you use your freedom? What do you think that communicates to others? The way in which you, you use your freedom in Christ, what does that communicate to others? Does the way in which you use your freedom in Christ create a good witness for Christ? Or does it create a bad witness for Christ? Does it reveal that you are using your freedom for the kingdom of God and the upbuilding of his church? Or does it reveal that you're using your freedom... For selfish gain and for your own glory. What witness does your freedom give to others? Lastly, do not let your freedom cause spiritual harm, verses 20 through 23. Do not let your freedom cause spiritual harm, verses 20 and 23. He says in verse 20, do not destroy the work of God. Look what he says in verse 20. Do not, for the sake of food, for the sake of food, do not destroy the work of God. We, Christian, are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yes, Ephesians 2.10. And so we must be careful, we must be mindful of the ways in which our actions affect others. Do not, for the sake of food, Destroy the work of God. Do not let your freedom destroy what God has. And he is working in the lives of other believers. So he speaks to the strong Christian and to the weak Christian. To the strong Christian. He says that you should care for your brothers and your sisters' spiritual walk. To the strong Christian, you should care for your brother and sister's spiritual walk. They are God's workmanship. They're God's workmanship. So you have to care for their spiritual well-being and for their spiritual health and for their spiritual walk. I want you to think about those here in TYG. Is your priority for your peers the health of their spiritual walk? Do you even consider that? 
Do you even care about that? Do you consider their spiritual walk? How is it that you can tangibly show that you care about and you prioritize the spiritual walk of others? One way is to be sensitive to their struggles and to not be the one who causes them to stumble. Verses 20 and 21. He says, everything is indeed clean. But it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. And so if that means that you give up your freedom for the sake of their spiritual health, then so be it. And praise God and give it up. Yes, we should want that. We should desire to give up any freedom if it means the spiritual health of our brother or sister. If it means that they are more healthy spiritually because of it. And it's not a resentment. It's not a bitterness. It's not a, oh, fine, I guess I'll just give up my freedom so that they don't sin. No, but instead desire to do what is best for them spiritually. And if that means you refrain from a certain freedom, then great. Do so. Because their spiritual walk is far more important than you exercising your freedom. Not only should the strong Christian be willing to give up the freedom, but they should also be sensitive to the weaker Christian about the freedom. Verse 22. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. What does he mean when he says keep between you and God? Paul's not saying be silent about your freedom. In fact, no, we, we, we should not be ashamed of the freedom we have in Christ. We should not hide that truth from others. For instance, it, it was good for the strong Christian to inform and teach the weaker Christian that it's okay to eat meat. Yes, we should teach that. But what he's saying is this. Be sensitive to it. Don't flaunt it. Don't just wave the meat around their face and say, mm, isn't that good? Too bad you're weak. Look at the steak. Say, don't do that. That's not a loving way to go about it. That's not speaking the truth in love. Enjoy your freedom, yes. But don't flaunt it. And don't force it upon the weaker brother either. If the weaker Christian is not ready to eat the meat or or whatever it might be, don't force them to do so. Because in forcing them to do so, you're forcing them to sin. Because you're forcing them to go against their own conscience. And you are putting a stumbling block in their way. So be mindful of the weaker Christian and put their needs ahead of your own. Now to the weaker Christian, he does speak to him in verse 23. To the weaker Christian, if you are convicted of something, if you feel doing something would be wrong, even if it's not explicitly commanded in Scripture, that's okay. Don't do it. Don't fall to the peer pressure. Don't go against your own conscience. If others are eating meat and you feel you can't, then don't eat it, because it will be a sin for you. Verse 23, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. If your convictions and your cautions tell you not to do something, then don't do it, because for you it would be a sin. So don't worry about what others think. It's not about impressing them. You follow the convictions the Lord has placed in your heart. At the same time I say this, don't don't be dogmatic. At the same time what I'm saying is don't don't just be like, no, like what I have is is right. Like be, be teachable. Be open to hearing and learning where you might be able to grow. 
So to both the strong and the weaker Christian, I say, do, do not let your freedom in Christ be the cause of spiritual harm. To the strong Christian, do not let your freedom create pride in yourself. Do not let your freedom be harmful to the weaker Christian. And to the weak Christian, I say, do, do not fall to peer pressure and partake in something that goes against your conscience. But be mindful of the convictions you have. And do not live to please men. Christian, we, we have been given freedom in Christ. We have freedom in Christ. And it's a wonderful gift that is to be enjoyed. And it's a gift that we should be thankful for. But at the same time, it's a gift that we ought to be responsible and wise on how we use it. Like many things, we, we, we can, because of our sinful flesh, we can take something that is good and we can turn it into something that is bad. So use your freedom for good. Not for evil. As I read at the beginning tonight, 1 Corinthians 10.23, I want to look at it a little bit more. It says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. While you may have the freedom to do something, it doesn't mean that it's profitable. Well, you may have the freedom to do something. It doesn't mean that it's building up to the body. Paul says, don't seek your own good, but seek the good of your neighbor. And I think that's really the heart of what our passage is getting at. Are you putting the needs of others before your own? Are you sacrificing for the sake of loving others? I challenge everyone here tonight to assess your own mindset, to assess your own heart. Towards others. Have the mindset of Christ. Have the humility of Christ. Aside from going to the cross, I think one of Christ's greatest examples of humility is when he washed the disciples' feet. Think of that picture. Think of that. Oh, Jesus, I would love to be a fly on the wall just to see what that was like. He didn't have to wash their feet, in fact, he had the freedom not to do so. In fact, he was the last person who should have washed anyone's feet. But he lowered himself. Literally, he lowered himself. He knelt down, taking the position of the lowest servant, the servant's servant, and he washed his disciples' feet. That's love. That's humility. That's true greatness. Will you wash each other's feet? Will you lower yourself? Will you put away your preferences? Will you put away your comforts? And maybe even put away your freedoms for the sake of loving one another. Now this love, this sacrifice for others, in no way makes you more loved by God. In no way makes you more accepted by God. In no way adds to your salvation. Because being loved by God, being accepted by God, receiving the gift of salvation are all by His grace. We do not sacrifice for others to receive these things. No, we sacrifice for others out of a transformed heart that is now filled with the Holy Spirit, that has seen, that has tasted the goodness of God's grace. And so we in turn desire to treat others in the same way. Is that you? Has your heart been transformed? Have you tasted and have you seen 
Are you now filled with the Holy Spirit, offering your life as a living sacrifice to Him? If so, then out of love for your Savior, go and love others the same. Put them ahead of yourself. Serve them. Prefer them. And do so out of worship to God and out of love for your Savior. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your love towards us. Thank you for the example of Christ and the sacrifice in which he has made for his people. Lord, I pray that we would have that same love. Lord, I pray that we'd be willing to give up whatever necessary for the sake of others. God, thank you for the freedom in which we have in Christ. Lord, I pray that we would not use that freedom for sin or for harm, but instead we would use it for good, to serve, to love, to worship. Lord, give us wisdom and discernment on how we may exercise our freedom or times in which we may need to choose not to. Give us the love for one another. Give us the humility of Christ. God, show us where we need to grow in you. Convict our hearts. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.